0: You're
1: listening to an Airwave Media Podcast.
0: I would start with asking, you know, how do you benchmark my salary to the market? Is there a pay range for this role? What determines where I am paid in that pay range? And then also, what do I have to do to progress my pay? So there's a four really good starting questions uh, that I would use to sort of begin your conversation
2: to the self-made and the self-efficient our partner edelman financial engines can tailor investment solutions for the wealth that you're building as a her money listener you'll get a complimentary financial plan when you call 833-304-PLAN or visit plan efe.com slash her Hey everybody, I'm Jean Chatsky. Thank you so much for joining us today on Her Money. Today's conversation is one that I have been wanting to have for a while, even before we heard from our amazing listener who secured that 92% raise. Today, we are gonna talk about getting paid fairly, earning more, And we're gonna get really, really tactical. We're actually going to walk you through some of the conversations that you're likely to have as you're determining whether you're being paid fairly and what to say, the real words, when you go in to talk to your manager to ask for a raise. I am such a fan of doing practice conversations with anything in the career sphere, whether it's interview practice or salary negotiation when you're starting a job or raise negotiation once you've already proven yourself in a role. So today we're going to go through some of those conversations. We're going to really chart a course so that you are able to negotiate for the highest possible salary. According to PayScale's 2022 Compensation Best Practices Survey, 50% of companies today say they are adjusting their pay strategy or their pay structures for this year, and two-thirds of organizations say pay equity analysis is a planned initiative in 2022. That is really good news. It's a 20% bump over last year, which is pretty remarkable. And we all want to make sure that we are getting a piece of that pie because all too often, we either don't ask for a raise or when we do, we don't get the answers we want. According to Payscale's Raise Anatomy Report, just 37% of workers have ever asked for a raise from their current employer. And when they do ask, the most common reason they're denied is because there is quote-unquote no Budget. Well, today we are going to walk you through not only how to prepare, but how to respond if your request is denied. And we're doing it all with Ruth Thomas, a global leader in pay equity and compensation management technology, who was the co-founder of Curo Compensation, which was acquired by Payscale in 2021. Today, she is chief product evangelist, I love that title, at Payscale, where she works to ensure that everyone has an equal opportunity to earn what they're worth. And for those of you who haven't consulted Payscale before, It's the first website that I always point people to when they're looking for salary comparison data. When we say, do your research, PayScale is the place to go. Ruth, welcome. We're so glad that you could be here with us today.
0: Thank you, Jean, and it's great to be here to talk about something that's obviously very close to my heart.
2: Yes, absolutely. Tell me a little bit about you. Tell me a little bit about your journey into the compensation space
0: well, my background was as an international HR and reward professional. But about 10 years ago, I moved into the HR technology space. And I think that was because I really believe that leveraging technology would help us with two of the big issues that I saw existed in pay at the time. I think firstly, that was the organisations were not great at optimising their pay spend. They tended to treat it as a cost and not an investment. And secondly, probably more that we're going to focus on today is that pay decisions were often subjective and not fair. And so for reasons that I sometimes question, particularly as I was a mother of two young daughters at the time, I co-founded a tech company, Curo, to try and tackle this. And now 10 years on, those daughters are not so small and are starting to enter the workforce themselves. And those pay issues, unfortunately, haven't gone away. But last year, I was really excited when our company was acquired by PayScale, which really gives us a much larger platform to try and keep battling these issues.
2: Can I come back for a second to that word fair? When we talk about pay equity, I think it's a somewhat confusing term. Can you explain what it means or what it means to you and why you're so passionate about it?
0: Yeah, you're absolutely right, Gina. Pay fairness can mean a lot of different things to lots of different people. If we think about pay equity, you know, that's very much about equal pay. So it's where we think about paying people who are doing the same type of work or similar job duties after you've accounted for some of the factors that like experience level or job performance that would you know explain why they're paid, what they're paid. And we're going to come back to talk a bit more about those compensable factors. But for me, probably me, even more importantly is pay equity is also about opportunity, And the equal opportunity to earn the same. And what we know is that the work undertaken by women and particularly women of colour has historically been undervalued and that's still playing out today. We often see that in the uncontrolled pay gaps that we hear quoted in the press. Gender pay gap report, Payscale's 2022 report showed that that gender pay gap has not shrunk since last year, with women still earning 82 cents on the dollar for every dollar that a man makes. So there's clearly, you know, work to be done here.
2: Yeah. And this... Studies that have looked at how long it's going to take to close the gap are just demoralizing. The one I keep coming back to is the one by the American Association of University Women that says it's going to take until the year 2119 to close this gap, which is ridiculous. And for me, I mean, I started my career at Working Woman magazine. Which no longer exists, but we would do a ton of stories. I mean, almost every cover was about breaking the glass ceiling, and and that was you know thirty five years ago. And again, I don't feel like we've come far enough. Did you have an experience in your personal history that drew you to this field?
0: Well, I would say that I worked for a period of time in the financial services sector. And I think if you go and look at the gender pay gaps in the financial services sector, you'll see that they're some of the largest pay gaps that prevail. And I think it was probably witnessing or presiding over some of the pay decisions that were made at that time that made me think, you know, surely there's a better way, I guess. And so I'd say that was one of the key drivers.
2: These days, organizations are coming under more pressure to be transparent about pay. Why do you think that's happened and do you think it's working?
0: Well, I think there are three key drivers here. One is around employee expectations. So we have a new generation of workers with very different views and values about money and the workplace and they've really begun to challenge why pay secrecy has prevailed for so long and why they don't understand how their pay is set. And What those employees value most is probably inclusivity and openness. And they really want to place a high degree of trust in their employer. And so they expect their employer to be open and honest with them. And then we've got factors like the fact that, you know, there's so much pay data around now. There are so many places you can go to source data. It's very much in the public domain, which makes it easier to kind of have a conversation about pay. And then I think finally, there's this burst of, you know, new legislation emerging requiring employers to be transparent. We see all the pay transparency laws coming out in states like Colorado and New York and Washington, where employers are required to post pay ranges during the recruitment or talent acquisition process. Um, and then even beyond that, employers being required to report on where they stand on pay equity. So again, new laws coming out in places like Illinois and California and, you know, beyond the shores of the US, you know, across Europe and elsewhere
2: we promised our listeners that we would get tactical so I want to dive in and I want to get tactical and I want to start with how do we tee up the subject with our manager let's say that we have a job already do we have to wait for an annual review to bring pay up or is any time okay
0: well, I think now is as good a time as any, bearing in mind what we're seeing happening um, in the labour market at the moment. I think most of us are familiar with the headlines about, you know, the the great resignation or the great reevaluation, And we're all witnessing you know, stories of wage inflation. You talked about your listener earlier. Um, and of course, seeing, you know, more concerningly, price increases happening. So I think most of us are fairly, you know, concerned about our pay at the moment and and how that fares in that environment. So, you know, yeah, absolutely. Now is as good a time as any, which is kind of really why we at PayScale launched our Let's Talk Fair Pay campaign because what we really want to do is to help both sides in this conversation have the tools and practices to have meaningful conversations about pay because we really believe that if you talk about pay more openly and in a more informed manner we will get to that point of increasing transparency and what that will ultimately do is help to reduce bias and ensure fair pay.
2: And we're going to do some role-playing, you and I. We're going to actually have some of these conversations so that our listeners can let it all sink in, take the words away with them. But before we get there, you know, often we'll say as you're going for a new job or as you're going into a review, you should do your homework. What does that mean to you?
0: Well, I think you know, one thing you can do is, as I said earlier, a lot of this data is available in the public domain and you can do your research here to know your worth. So, at Payscale, you know, we have a crowdsourced salary database that represents data across millions of individuals and, you know, you can go into that, you can take the survey and you can narrow down to like work, so the type of job that you're doing in the location that you're doing it Um, and that will provide you with information on things like the 25th, 50th and 70th, 5th percentile for your role. Of course, there's other places you can go as well. As I mentioned, pay transparency laws. We're starting to see, you know, pay ranges being published on job adverts, um, and that's going to be, you know, a new source for us to be able to look and go and prepare. So go and look at some job adverts, ones that seem to compare to the work that you're doing. Look at the pay ranges that are posted with those job adverts. And I think finally, I would say, in terms of full preparation get ready for a fact-based discussion about yourself. It will make it a less emotional discussion, you know, if you can make it a fact-based discussion. So there are things worth knowing, things like your pay history. I know sometimes we've lost those letters from prior years, you know, where we've been told what our pay is, but, you know, definitely don't assume your manager will know it. So if it's going to get into a conversation about pay progression, you'd be best to be informed about your pay history. And then other things like getting prepared to state your on your performance and contribution and thinking about potentially progressing your pay and where you might want to go in the organization. So quite a lot of prep work there.
2: I often think we don't know enough about our own companies, right? Like companies, especially big ones, tend to have salary ranges for particular jobs. And sometimes those salary ranges are are public information. You know, you can go to HR, you can ask what is the range for this job? What is the range for the next job? But a lot of people in this country work for small companies where they don't have that kind of infrastructure. What do you do if you're in that environment?
0: You're absolutely right. You know, there's a whole range of practice out there. You know, you've got companies at the sort of larger organization side with lots of pay transparency and smaller organizations who don't have the resources to be able to invest in putting those best practices in place. I think it's worth having the conversation to understand what your compensation philosophy is at your company. So how do they go about setting pay? Now, Even the most smallest companies will tend to do some form of benchmarking to market exercise. And we help many of those small companies at Payscale with our market survey data. So, you know, it would be worth understanding how they do that. When do they compare to market? What information are they using? And then, as you say, you know, maybe they have pay ranges. So to have an informed discussion, you really need to know how do they determine those pay ranges? How do they decide where I sit in that pay range? You know, why am I compensated what I am and how am I placed in that pay range? And that may come as a surprise, I think, to a lot of people because they don't appreciate that there actually is quite a body of work that goes into determining how to manage pay at an organization. And, you know, hopefully more organizations than not, you know, it's not a finger in the air strategy that they're using in terms of deciding how to pay their employees.
2: But can't be these days. I mean, if you're competing, we've been doing some hiring recently at Her Money and it just can't be. I mean, I looked at what similar Larger companies are paying for the same roles before deciding what we were going to pay for these, because I knew that we were not going to get these people if we didn't step up and do it. So I agree with you. I think even small companies are finding that they have to do more in order to be competitive, not just in terms of salary, but in terms of getting your benefits game together as well. I think
0: that's a really good point. I think, you know, you should think about the whole package. We've been talking about pay quite a lot here, but you really also should think about, you know, what is of value to you beyond the dollars and therefore if you are going into a negotiation position with an organization whilst you might end up not being able to negotiate on pay there may be room to negotiate on some of the other things in the organization like benefits or like flexible working paid time off and things like that that may actually end up meaning more to you at the end of the day
2: yeah Yeah, 100%. All right, we're going to do some role playing in just a second. But before I get there, I have a message for the self-made and the self-efficient in our audience. Our partner, Edelman Financial Engines, you've heard me talk about them before, they can tailor investment solutions for the wealth that you're building and growing and protecting. And their investment management approach is actually based on Nobel Prize winning research. Their planners don't sell products to earn commissions, period. So no matter where you're going next, it's worthwhile to see how they can help you get there. And like I said at the beginning of the show, as a Her Money listener, you'll get a complimentary financial plan when you reach out at planEFE.com slash hermoney or pick up the phone and call 833 304 plan, P-L-A-N. So I am talking with Ruth Thomas. She's the chief product evangelist at PayScale.
0: Ruth, I just got to ask, did you make up your title? No, definitely not. Although I did get many friends asking me when I told them about my new title, did I get wings with that job? I think Um, it should come with wings. Absolutely. No, I think in the tech sector, it's quite common uh, role where you're sort of in a role between product and marketing, and you're really trying to help your buyers and your audience understand the real value of your products in a language that they understand. And so that evangelism, telling good news is kind of what that role is all about.
2: Amazing, amazing. I remember the first time I came across a product evangelist, it was for Quicken, the budgeting software, and it was many, many years ago. So I love the title. One day we'll be big enough to have a Her Money product evangelist. All right, role-playing. You want to raise, right? You want to raise. You know you have to bring this up with your manager. It's not annual review time, so it's on you to get it going. Can you walk me through a sample conversation as if I were your manager?
0: Well, I think asking questions are important. Asking the right questions, trying to make them non-emotional, making them fact-based questions and questions that I, you know, I've been in this business a long time. I think you're perfectly entitled as an employee to ask. So I would start with asking, you know, how do you benchmark my salary to the market? Is there a pay range for this role? what determines where I am paid in that pay range? And then also, what do I have to do to progress my pay? So there's a four really good starting questions uh, that I would use to sort of begin your conversation.
2: Is there a point where you say, I've done my research, and I believe I'm underpaid by 20%?
0: Absolutely. Yep. So, and I think what would be good is to bring that research to the table and explain, you know, this is where I source this research. And then hopefully the person you're having the conversation with will be informed enough to be able to say, well, you know, potentially... This is how we set our pay strategy. That may be different than, you know, the source where you got your information from. At our company, we tend to focus on having a lower base pay potentially and a higher benefits package or even a lower base pay and a higher bonus or variable pay package. So you're at that point hoping that the person you're having the conversation with is informed enough to be able to contextualize the information you have and how they're setting pay in the organisation i would always say that many managers are not equipped to have that conversation so although it might be awkward when you are booking that conversation i would say you might want to let your manager know in advance that these are the questions you'll be asking so that they can be prepared or you know they they you may find that the discussion will be cut short and they're going to have to go off and speak to hr before they can come back to you and have a more meaningful conversation
2: So that would be sort of taken as a denial, right? Or a denial off the cuff. We actually collected some of the most common rebuttals that a manager might offer. So I want to throw them out to you. And I'd love it if you could guide me through what an appropriate response might be. Okay? Okay. All right. So there's just not enough money in the budget.
0: Yes, I've heard that one quite a few times before. And budget constraints, you know, are a real issue, particularly for for many organisations currently. I think in that context, you always remain professional and courteous if you are turned down but then start to ask the questions or work with your manager to say how you can move forward to achieve the goals that you want. So, you know, my expectation is I would like a 20% raise. What would I have to do in the organization to make that happen? And when would be the timing that you as an organization might be able to address that and see what, you know, answers they can give you in response to that.
2: There are other people who have been there longer than you, and they also work really hard. I just can't give everyone a raise. If I gave you a raise right now, it wouldn't be fair.
0: Well, first of all, I say I like that company because they're monitoring fairness. But anyway, but the big issue at the moment is, you know, we do have a very active labor market, new hires potentially coming in on higher pay than tenured employees. So trying to monitor fairness is a real issue for organizations. It's a live process at the moment rather than it, you know, being what it tends to be an annual process. I would ask, you know, when would increases be an option and what would you again have to deliver to justify Pay So, you know, if I wanted to be paid more, what would I have to do in order to do that? You raise a
2: really important point, because in this market where we're fighting for talent, there are people coming into jobs who are earning more than people who are doing the same job, but have just been there for a while. If you suspect that this is going on in your company, or you know it's going on in your company what's the language to use to get your manager to level up?
0: Well, I would, first of all, if you know, you've got the information, or even if you suspect it, you could go, you know, I get what's going on in the labor market at the moment. I know we're trying to hire people. I know, you know, potentially they're coming in at higher rates. You know, how is our pay? Um, You know how are you equalising our pay with the people that you're bringing into the organisation, and you know how are you going to level pay between potentially people coming in at a higher rate than those of us that you know belong and have been here in the organisation before. Most employers that I know, the good practice employers, what they're doing in these situations is that when they are bringing people in, they are doing a leveling exercise with their existing employees. So you'll get someone come into the team potentially at ten percent higher than everybody else, and then everybody else is kind of getting an market adjustment as a result.
2: Here's another one. The figure that you're asking for isn't in line with your role or this part of the country. This is an interesting one because it's happening at a time where some companies, particularly some tech companies, are saying, hey, if you want to be remote, I'm going to pay you in line with the cost of living in that city. Do you have to put up with that?
0: It's a real difficult time for employers at the moment. Many of them are really just trying to decide, you know, what way they're going to go in terms of remote or hybrid pay. Because I think the problem is most employers haven't decided 100% what their end game is, you know, they don't know what their end strategy is. Do they want everybody back in the office? Are they going to have people partly in the office? Or are they going to go for remote workforce like we've seen employers announcing? So, you know, I think you'll find probably if you are having that conversation with your employer, you will find that many of them haven't settled on that answer yet. But I do agree with you that, you know, I think we will see potentially a leveling up and more of a conversation around, you know, does it matter where you are to do the work that you're doing as long as you're providing the same value as an employee, you know, elsewhere in the country.
2: How about for somebody who's gotten great performance reviews and they're told your performance just isn't sufficient to warrant a raise of that
0: size? Well, I'd ask for constructive advice on, you know, what you do have to do to reach the performance level that would be entitled for a raise. It's often hard to talk about your own performance because it is such a subjective issue, you know, for yourself. So ask for some clear performance goals of what you would have to achieve in order to potentially get that size of the raise that, you know, you were asking for.
2: When do you need to just walk across the street and get another offer?
0: Well, we've talked in all of this, you know, various scenarios that we've played out, you know, the hope is that the employer is going to be in the position to be able to say to you, this is how we determine pay, this is how we manage your pay, and this is how we make sure that we're paying everybody fairly in the organisation. And I think if your employer isn't ready or isn't prepared or isn't committed to having those conversations with you, and that's what you want, then that may be the time to walk across the street because there's no balance of your values there. You know, if being paid fairly is something that is really important to you and that you value, then there's a misalignment of culture going on there.
2: Yeah, I think that's true. Although I remember being in the situation of getting another offer because I knew that I was dramatically underpaid, but also feeling like I really don't want to leave. Like, I like this company. I like the work I'm doing. I really like my friends. I guess I'll take a stand here, but boy, oh boy, I hope they come up because I don't want to go across the street. It can be a conflict.
0: Yeah absolutely and we've seen some evidence of you know what's being called the great regret from the many employees that are changing roles at the moment you know in this very fluctuating environment that we're in where they have moved for a higher pay and then they've had regrets about maybe you know not being able to work with the colleagues they were the type of work that they're doing or even some of the flexibility um, that they had in their old roles so it is a very difficult conversation and it's so personal i mean mm-hmm. i always know if i think about every time i've designed from an employer, you know, that has taken me a lot of time to get myself ready to, you know, have that conversation because it is a very personal conversation.
2: Yeah, it's a loss, right? Switching jobs is hard, but it's hard, I think, emotionally and personally, because if you value the relationships that you've built, you're leaving a work family and having to start over and build another. And I think, I think you know, as you said, it's not always all about the money. But the money is important. And we know, as you said, that the gender pay gap is still what it was years ago, that according to Payscale's recent State of the Gender Pay Gap 2022 report, it's 82 cents across the board for women for every dollar that a man make. And even if we look at women at the executive level, they make just 95 cents for every dollar that a man makes, even when the job characteristics are are controlled for should you ever go into a job negotiation and or a salary negotiation and lead with the fact that you know a man earns more than you for the same job do you just put it
0: out there absolutely no I mean particularly if you think you've got evidence to that effect you know again I would come back to focusing on it being a fact-based discussion making sure you've got the information around your own worth the market and your company's compensation strategy but I know from my own experience as a compensation practitioner that defending these individual gender pay based differences, when you're the employer with all the power, you can easily argue those differences away. And that's what we've kind of seen historically. So I think I would be asking personal questions around do you know what the gender pay gap is in our company? And is that something that we monitor here? And that will give you a clearer picture as to whether the company that you're with is generally proactive about this issue and do they care about this issue? Do you
2: need to ask the same questions about the racial pay gap? According to that same survey, women of color were 19% less likely to have received a raise than white men for women of color what do they specifically need to know about the negotiation process and are there specific words that work in getting employers to level up
0: i think a lot of what we've talked about is applicable but as you've mentioned that you know women of color they tend to face more obstacles in the workplace. And I think a lot of what we're discovering in terms of how to resolve the barriers as part of the diversity, equity and inclusion, inclusion being the biggest word in that acronym, is that we really need to have a better understanding of how minorities feel in the workplace, what they see the barriers and hurdles as that stop them progressing their pay or potentially fulfilling their career and pay potential. So, you know, I think being able to have those discussions around what your experience is as an individual in that company and informing your employees about that will help them to, you know, help you tackle those obstacles together.
2: Ruth, this has been such a great conversation, so many good tools and resources. Where do we go specifically with pay scale? If we want to find out what we're worth, we want to take the survey, we're preparing for these sort of conversations at work.
0: Well, if you go to the PayScale website, you'll be able to go to the salary survey that we talked about earlier. And you'll also find information about our Let's Talk Fair Pay campaign. uh, So we can talk you through the steps of taking that survey. We provide you with a whole host of resources that talk about preparing uh, for these difficult conversations. And then also, you know, if you're interested in the gender pay gap, we've got that gender pay gap report that is worth downloading to give you an idea of kind of some of the issues that exist
2: It's like shopping for a car, right? You print out that gender pay gap report and you just put it on the desk of your manager so that they know that you know and everybody's on the same page. Ruth, thank you so much for doing this with us. We really appreciate all your great information and advice
0: thank you very much for having me. Before we head
2: into Mailbag and answer your questions, let me just remind everybody that Her Money is supported by BCU. BCU is a credit union that helps its members take control of their money using a variety of tools and a variety of resources. And BCU's passion is to empower people to discover financial freedom by providing caring support and services that create the value that you deserve. You can learn more at W www.bcu.org. Catherine Tuggle joins me now for our mailbag. Hey, Catherine. Hey there, Jean. How you doing? I am so good. So I have
1: to say that one of those conversation starters that Ruth went over with you was actually one that I had personal experience with. It was the one about I can't give you a raise because then I would have to give everybody a raise. And I feel like I got this one a lot during my career. And my boss would say, well, do you think that you're working harder than this person? Do you think you're working harder than this person? And I was always really stymied by that question because I felt like he was demanding that I say that I'm better than everybody else in order to get the raise that I deserve.
2: Mm -hmm. And
1: I feel like Ruth had a really good response for that rather than just saying, okay, then you ask the question, well, what would I have to do to be worthy of this raise? Like, tell me what else you need to see from me so that I can get to that point. And that's a question that I never asked. So I just came to work at her money instead. (laughs) Well, there you go.
2: We're happy to have you. And you work harder than everyone, so you can just know that going forward. But I've had that too. And I remember solving it at one point with data, So I actually pulled stats on my production, right? And I felt kind of bad about it at the time, but the number of features that I wrote compared to the number of features that other people with my title wrote, knowing that I was writing more often, right? And so I think sometimes with that working harder, you can't quantify it right? Unless there's somebody who's slacking off and who's not in the office or, and you never know these days, right? Because we're all working from home. So who knows who's working harder, quote unquote. But if you can tie it to productivity, well, I'm making more money for the company because I'm doing X, Y, and Z, or I'm saving the company more money because I'm doing X, Y, and Z. Or when you look at my output, it's greater. So I think sometimes data actually gets us where we need to go. Yeah, that's such a good point. And that's like goes back to Ruth's point
1: of having the data and knowing the data. And I have been thinking a lot about the new laws with salary transparency across the country. You know, New York state just made it mandatory that you put the salary range on job listings. So I do think that in a post-COVID hiring environment, there is more room for fair pay, which is really exciting.
2: Yeah, totally agree. Okay, let's jump into our mailbag, see what we've got. Speaking of salary and
1: raises, today in mailbag, we have a career question and we have a career win. I will start with the career win, which comes to us from Maggie. She writes, I want to extend a thank you for the work you've done in the Her Money podcast to encourage women to ask for raises and give them guidance on how to do so. My story during the summer of 2021 i started doing salary research in my job field and discovered i was being underpaid it took me several months to gather more data and by the time i had enough to make my case i gave birth to my daughter and was out of the office for 10 weeks when i came back in january 2022 one of the first things i did was to ask for a 25 percent raise and a reclassification of my job grade I was very nervous to ask for something like that after being on parental leave, but I knew if I didn't ask now, I would have to wait another year due to our budgeting cycle. I'm thrilled to report that I received a 15% raise and a higher job classification, which sets me up for larger merit raises in future. Your work directly encouraged me to ask for this raise, which has given me a great confidence boost and is a financial boon for our family. If you choose to share this story on the podcast, I hope it gives other listeners the courage to ask now and not wait for the right time. Thank you from the bottom of my heart.
2: I love this, Maggie. Congratulations on going for it and getting it. And yes, I hope that other listeners... Pick up on this story and don't wait, because your employer is definitely under pressure right now. And so why not take advantage of it? I think it's fantastic. And congratulations on the birth of your daughter, too. Absolutely. I love that so much. Thank you, Maggie. Our question
1: today comes to us from a member of our Private Harmony Facebook group. She writes, I started a job a week ago with a company in the nonprofit sector that has poor benefits, but I thought I would really enjoy the work. Unfortunately, just a few days in, I can now see all the employees I will supervise are unhappy and overworked. Also, the scope of what they told me I'd be doing is much larger than they described. The company is providing zero hands-on training, just sending documents through emails. There are too many red flags to count. I worked at my previous job for 20 years, and I'm starting to look for another position ASAP. My question is... What should I say about looking for a new position so quickly after I started this one? Do you think I'll have trouble getting hired? Thank you so much for your help.
2: I think you will have zero trouble getting hired, and I don't think you have to say anything. I think you can just leave this off your resume. I mean, somebody said to me the other day, I actually think it was Soledad. So Soledad O'Brien and I co-host a show on the weekends called Everyday Wealth. It's also available as a podcast if you're interested in sampling another financial show from me. And we were talking about this very issue because she mentors young women and, and had a young woman who was worried about a gap on her resume of a couple of months. And she basically said, that's not a gap in this world That is not a gap. When you've got a gap of six months, when you've got a gap of a year, you can talk to me about gaps. Here, I wouldn't worry about it. And I also think that if it should come up, if for whatever reason, somebody who's interviewing you for that next job knows that you took a quick breather and tried this other opportunity, you can lay out the story just like you did here. There is absolutely no reason for you to feel compelled to stay in this bad situation when there are so many good situations out there right now. I wouldn't give a huge amount of detail because you don't want to be seen as somebody who's a spreader of negative information, but give a few scant details. There was no training. There was no onboarding. And the people that I was brought in to manage were incredibly overworked. I decided very quickly that it wasn't for me. Yeah, that's such great advice. I also think
1: that there's nothing wrong with saying that something wasn't a fit, particularly if you've proven yourself for 20 years
2: in your last role. Yeah, and you could absolutely just say that too. I discovered, take it on you, don't say we, But I discovered very quickly that this was not a fit. And after having such a great long-term relationship in my prior job, I decided I was gonna look for something better. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Sheen. Thank you, Catherine. And thanks so much for joining me today on Her Money. Thanks to Ruth Thomas for chatting all things fair pay with us and walking us through exactly what to say. If you like what you hear, I hope you'll subscribe to our show at Apple Podcasts. Leave us a review because we love hearing what you think. We'd like to thank our sponsors, Edelman Financial Engines and BCU. We produce this podcast out of CDM Sound Studios. Our music is provided by Video Helper, and our show comes to you through Megaphone. Thank you so much for joining us, and we'll talk soon.